Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with the penultimate WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast as WrestleMania 39 approaches. That's right, getting over is back. Once again, we are 11 days out from WrestleMania 39, which means the Silver King. Adam Silverstein and vintage Chris Benini are here to break down everything that happened this week in the world of WWE. That WrestleMania Ultimate Preview episode is coming up in one week's time, so we are going to spend this episode breaking down arguably the greatest storyline in professional wrestling history, the bloodline, while also talking about everything that happened on WWE TV this week with WrestleMania closing in. We have a jam-packed, absolutely loaded show ahead for you today. Multiple segments, so many topics to touch on, but we got to start as we always do here at Getting Over with a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. And folks, you know what that means by this point. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. We have 488 ratings and reviews on Apple. Let's get to 500 by the time the final bell sounds at WrestleMania 39. We got 11 days. I'm asking for 12 ratings and reviews. I know how many of you listen to the show. Please, on Apple Podcasts in particular, Spotify as well, though, leave that five-star rating. And if you have a little extra time, leave that written review. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Yeah, we do episode drops. We cover news analysis, highlights. We tweet during all the major shows. That all happens. But on WrestleMania week, you are going to need to be subscribed and following us, I should say, on Twitter, because we're going to let you know when every episode drops. We're going to give you the schedule for the week. You're going to be able to participate in pre and post show polls for NXT Stand and Deliver and WrestleMania. And of course, you get to join our free live WrestleMania pre-show on Twitter spaces. You are not going to want to miss that. Chris, with all of that now out of the way, let's finally get into today's show. And let me begin it like this with a proclamation. Ladies and gentlemen, getting overheads of all ages, after that SmackDown that we got on Friday night, after that closing segment we got Monday night on Raw, allow me to officially declare it is WrestleMania season. Now, the road may have started back in January. We are officially now inside the city limits. This is by far the most I have anticipated a WrestleMania that I haven't attended since WrestleMania 10, maybe 17, X7. And you know what? I may be anticipating this more than some I've actually attended to. The match quality, the depth of the card, the lack of frills. I mean, this card is outstanding. There are some gripes. The women's booking is relatively atrocious right now. But top to bottom, these two shows in terms of night one and night two, my expectation level is soaring. Absolutely. I, I, I had a huge expectations for last year, but that was largely because I was going to be there in person and you knew Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to be there. This year, like they haven't nailed the build for the top build match at, at a WrestleMania since I'm trying to think 
Daniel Bryan? Probably, was, but it, even was that, that he was ham-fisted into it because the crowd demanded it, right? So right, Roxy. I mean, like I mean, like a week or two out. I guess I guess technically we didn't know he was going to be in the main event because he had to beat Triple H in the first match. But I'm I thinking would say like Rock, of all is fair. Yeah, because I'm thinking like of all the Roman matches, Roman Brock was a bad send off. Roman Triple H, like there was Roman Taker. Th- there, yeah, there was not much. Oh, like this is the first time in a long time, really. You know, you have been looking forward to this main event for a, a long time, and you know it's going to be good. And that's what sells the tickets in the end. We we can bicker about build for some of the lower matches and stuff like that, but the main key matches on this card, the ones that are selling the tickets, the ones that we are going to remember have been built as as good as we've ever had. And that is extremely exciting. I said this right before we started recording, but I can't believe WrestleMania is next week. Like, it's already it's here. It's wild. It, it, you know, about four or five weeks ago, it was like, man, you know, not to say it's dragging, but kind of coming out of Elimination Chamber, you were like, man, it seems like they're going. Remember, I think we even talked about it at the opening of a show a couple of weeks ago. We're like, you know, Chris, some of the angles they did. Oh, it was on the go home to Elimination Chamber, that go home SmackDown. I was like, Chris, you know, some of these angles, man, it seems like they're going away from the obvious directions. And like, I'm not loving what they're doing. And then a couple of weeks scared. later, they just turned all the you way right scared. back. And 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 yeah, and we and we're right back where we wanted to be. Again, there's a couple things. The the women's booking is leaving a lot to be desired. The fact that we're not getting Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley and what has now happened in terms of what Brock is doing and what Lashley may not even be doing at this point. Um, that's been a, a low point for me. And it's really just those two things. Other than that, I'm thrilled with the way this WrestleMania card uh, has developed. But, you know, as a women's wrestling fan, uh, and we talk about this and we try to uh, prop up that division as much as we can across every company here on the show. You know, it's not great what they're doing right now. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But like I said, top to bottom, when you take it in totality, the build to this WrestleMania, it's one of the best I can remember. Uh, You know, I don't want to say ever because you know, things were different. Like the bill, I was so excited for WrestleMania 10 back in the day. And there's no way TV was as good leading up to that as it is now. But the anticipation level was super high. And I was younger. It was a different time. There wasn't social media. You know, you, it's it's very difficult to compare one era to another. Point is, this WrestleMania is off and running. This build with, you know, 11 days left to go. Now, I do have uh, something, Chris, I forgot to put on your rundown for today's show, and it's I just completely overlooked it. It's my fault. Uh, I want to give an update on the WWE Hall of Fame because we already know that Rey Mysterio was announced, but we've had a couple more uh, announcements and one that has not been announced yet. And there's 11 days left, so we should probably go over it quickly here on the show because we are not really going to have time to go over the WWE Hall of Fame during WrestleMania week. So the first, other than Rey Mysterio, is the great Muda is being inducted. Also, uh, Keiji Muto, a Japanese legend, at it since the 80s. He just retired earlier this year. One of his final matches was against Shinsuke Nakamura with WWE allowing Shinsuke the opportunity to wrestle, presumably in exchange for this Hall of Fame induction. This guy has straight up done it all. Four-time IWGP champion, six-time IWGP tag team champion, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, G1 Climax winner. In the early 2000s, He was one of the best wrestlers in the entire world. He's going to get inducted by Ric Flair, whom he had a rivalry with in the 90s. Now, this one, technically not announced, but it's not a huge deal. And again, we're running out of time. So I just kind of want to make sure we cover it. Uh, Stacey Keebler is going to be inducted into the WWE Mm. Hall of Fame. And Keebler, you could say, was in many ways 
WCW's answer to Sable for really lack of a better way, I guess, of explaining it. Uh, she won that original Nitro Girls contest. She was insanely over as a valet. First, of course, uh, coming in as Miss Hancock in that business suit. Gonna look good, but she's got me saying, hey now! Stepping over the ropes, dancing, all that stuff. She was one of the WCW contracts that WWE picked up. She did the Duchess of Dudleyville gimmick in WWE. Worked with Mr. McMahon, Tess, Scott Steiner. Um, she also had that infamous evening gown match at WrestleMania 20. And she actually had some crossover appeal for pop culture. Stacy was a big deal back in the day, so let's not diminish her contributions. And then lastly, this was announced Monday, Chris, Andy Kaufman. Uh, summing him up in a minute here is nearly impossible. Just an incomparable comedian, though he hated that term, entertainer, performance artist. He was a huge wrestling fan growing up, and he used the kayfabe aspects of wrestling <laughs> to fuel his performances in Hollywood. Uh, the audience and even his peers never knew for sure if what he was doing was a work or a shoot, just go ahead and Google Tony Clifton and you'll understand. Probably the most famous celebrity wrestler of all time from his Memphis feud with Jerry the King Lawler. That started with Andy wrestling women as the intergender wrestling champion of the world. That crossed over nationally during an appearance on Late Night with David Letterman. Lawler slapped Kaufman and everyone thought it was real. No one knew it was a work. <laughs> Andy actually wanted to get into wrestling for the WWF under Vince McMahon Sr., way earlier than this happened, but he didn't get the chance. He was also in My Breakfast with Blassie, which is a must-watch. If you're young, if you're unfamiliar with Andy Kaufman, I highly suggest watching the movie Man on the Moon with Jim Carrey. Yes. That's a biopic on Kaufman's life. There's also a Netflix documentary, Jim and Andy, about the making of that movie. Uh, Andy was brilliant, and he should have been inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, I mean, 20 years ago, at least, at least 10 years ago at this point. Triple H is a huge Andy Kaufman fan, and I presume this was his push to make it finally happen. Vince, for some reason, never let him in. It was Andy Kaufman and Cindy Lauper as the two celebrities who are blatantly missing from the Hall of Fame. And yep. WrestleMania 40 coming up next year. My hope is that Cindy gets it next year. The only question here is whether Lawler is healthy enough to induct Andy, and if not, what WWE does. Carrie would be, I mean, pie in the sky incredible, I don't think they'll, they'll be able to get him. Jerry Jarrett just died. Obviously, Jeff Jarrett is an AEW. Maybe they move Jimmy Hart, but Lawler would be the appropriate person. He's still recovering him from his stroke. Let's hope that he's good, you know, well enough in general for his life, but also maybe well enough that he can be here for this as well. Chris, I know I just kind of threw a lot at you, but do you have any thoughts? Great Muda, Stacey Keebler, Andy Kaufman. Mostly that I just wish these were announced far ahead of time so we could celebrate them more. All of mm -hmm. them, especially Andy Kaufman, like that whole storyline, like they should bring that back and remind everybody of how crazy this was and and, and what people thought of it at the, at the time. Like so much of that would like work today, like it would apply oh, yeah. today, that type of thing. And yeah, Man on the Moon, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross, I believe, are in that. And Jerry Lawler plays himself, himself yeah. in, in in the scene. Uh, it's really good stuff. Um, yeah, no, that they're all great. Stacey Gabler, look, I grew up in the Attitude Era. Whatever you think about somebody's work rate or whatever, Stacey Keebler was huge. She yeah. was over like crazy. And that's what this business is about. So all of them are deserved. We'll see if there's any bit any more. I just wish this had been done like two months ago so we could like talk about it more. I, I'd love like I want a whole package from WWE on Raw or SmackDown about the Andy Kaufman thing. But oh, yeah, uh, you, you, you can't because you don't have time now and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sure they'll get into it in the 
or maybe it was this past weekend, the Jerry Lawler biography. Um, I don't have that any, so I, have, yeah. I haven't seen it, but yeah. Um, yeah. Just hope Jerry is able to induct him if he's recovered enough. So we'll see. Uh, but not, not a bad class. Just kind of wish it wasn't thrown together at the last second. And speaking of the A&E stuff, I know a lot of people uh, found this podcast recently because of the Trish Stratus interview. So thanks to all of you for listening, of course, to the interview. Anyone who's a new subscriber, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Chris, it is now time for us to get into the way we normally break down these WWE editions of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We always kick things off by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And this is going to be, folks, an extended main event where we are going to go deep on the bloodline. We'll start with SmackDown. We'll go to Raw. We've got some other stuff to talk about as well. So Cody Rhodes opened SmackDown to a massive pop again, saying that he respects Roman Reigns as the greatest champion in sports. Then he called out Kevin Owens, but cut him off before he could speak so he could welcome Sami Zayn. Cody said he respected and loved KO, he told the story of how Owens set him up on the independence after he left WWE. He was basically referring to him, introducing him to the Young Bucks. Uh, Sammy correctly pointed out they've turned on each other numerous times, yet always worked it out, wondering why is this time different? Zayn said, quote, we can be the ones to bring down the ones, reiterating they don't have to be friends as long as they work together. Owens asked, why the hell would I ever fight with someone who doesn't want to be my friend and walked out? Sammy caught Kevin in the parking lot. He said, forget the bloodline shit. We are friends, not just that. We'll always be brothers and I love you. Owens hesitated, but he got in the car and drove off and Sammy looked sad. Now, the parking lot conclusion here fixed what was going to be a criticism that I had, which is that Sammy could have just told him this in the ring you know, as he was storming out. The crowd loved Cody trying to get them on the same page, but KO hanging the friendship element on this entire thing, I just found it to be hypocritical. Like it didn't fit his prior stance. It has been him saying that he doesn't want to be friends. He doesn't want to associate with Sammy anymore. And that's why Sammy kept having to say to Kevin, we don't have to be friends, but we need to fight together because we have a common enemy. So they either forgot that or they ignored it because they needed to ignore it to move the storyline forward. But Sammy expressing his honest feelings to me helped save the logic gap. I just wish he went a little bit further pointing out, and I've been saying this for two weeks now, KO is the one who has been at fault for most of their long-term issues. Probably the best part was Cody's involvement. It felt completely natural, like it was part of the story, not at all forced. And the pacing of this was great, too. It was a great cliffhanger to get you to watch the remainder of the show, knowing you had Sammy and Jey Uso coming in the main event. No, I um, I loved every bit of this. And in first, the, the Cody part, you know, some people might think, hey, they're they're shoving Cody into the Kevin Owens, Sammy Zayn feud. But no, to me, what they're doing is like they all need each other. They're fighting a four plus man mm -hmm team you know like like it's natural that they would want to be together this is not just cody replacing the young bucks with sammy and and, and kale although i understand how it could look like that uh cody pointing out hey when i left you helped me get with the young bucks like that shows that these two have a connection that is not just this storyline sake so i i really like that cody's natural to bring them together because they're all in this together um but kevin owens line when he says what it basically says, like, he doesn't want to be my friend. What he's saying is Sammy's only coming back to me because he needs me to fight the bloodline. He doesn't right. actually want to be my friend. And 
that's totally understandable. It's like if the bloodline thing hadn't happened, you wouldn't be coming back. You got spurned by your, your, you know, your, you left me and got a new girlfriend and she dumped you. And now you, that's the only reason you're coming back to me. Like right. that's a totally understandable feeling that he has. So like, I thought this all worked great. Like you said, great cliffhanger as Kevin Owens leaves. And again, like this whole storyline, you know, when people talk Sammy and Roman, I said the story is not about titles. The story is about friendship and family and where you belong. And this has been Sammy trying to figure out where he belongs, who really cares about him. And this this Sammy was partially in the wrong here. And, and, and that's why this all worked. I just, I thought this another, like just layer to everything. Everything has so many layers. It's not like, oh, you save me. Now I save you. Now we're friends again. Hey, I've screwed you over in the past. I, I'm over it. Like there's just so much to it. And I thought this was great. It was a great reason for Kevin Owens to not just jump to Sammy's aid. Cause it was the rumble when he saved him. We're talking two months ago. When he's mm-hmm. saving him and he's not just, oh, you saved me. So we're good. Like, no, we got to we got to talk this out and get through this. And so I, I loved it. And don't forget, they could have done all of this and paid the entire thing off in Montreal. And in Montreal, Kevin Owens said, I didn't do it for, for you. I did it for your family. So like that continued. It, it made perfect sense. It did for sure. So Sammy was disheveled with KO angry at him. And he said, Jey Uso is ready to take me out. So everyone's coming at me. In a moment of introspection, he kind of wondered, well, maybe I'm the problem since I'm at the center of this entire thing. Jay reiterated in the ring that he didn't like or trust Sammy from day one, but because the bloodline liked him, he let his guard down only for Sammy to embarrass him. He called Zayn a fake ass oose, saying he left him no choice. Sammy shot back that Jay has chosen from day one to accept Roman Reigns abuse, which he, Sammy, couldn't abide. He said, Jay... You're not mad at me, dude. You're mad at yourself for not standing up to Roman first. So Jay obviously got pissed off at that. He swung first. They brawled. Jimmy ran in for the two-on-one. Jay drove the steel steps into Sammy's head when suddenly KO's music hit and he ran in wearing the black hoodie out of the crowd. He stunned Jimmy. He nailed Jay with a pop-up powerbomb. Sammy then rose in the corner as fans chanted for the third time on the night. Hug it out. Hug it out. So Owens, he went at Zayn. Sammy hesitated and backed up slightly, thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. He might attack me here. Only for KO to grip him tight for a huge hug. And the crowd exploded. We saw Cody smiling like a proud father backstage. And then Michael Cole punctuated it all with this. They're difficult to leave and they're impossible to forget. Kevin Owens did not forget. Friendship is not an accident. KO and Sammy are back. And look, we're going to dig way deep into this, okay, Chris? But let's quickly and briefly knock this out. Michael Cole. (laughs) Deserves his flowers right there, okay? We talk about him doing all-time work. That is just great preparation and great execution in a key moment that every single person who watches WWE has been waiting to see for months. 
man, I got goosebumps. Uh, Me too. Hearing that back again. I did. Like that was like, and he said, it, again, like I said, and like I've said for months, the story is about friendship and punctuating it by explaining it like that. That is what commentary is supposed to do. Commentary is supposed to take everything you see and add that little more to it. Tell, the, on tell it. the story that's there. Like just absolutely top tier stuff from Michael Cole. Yeah. Now for the rest of it. Okay. There's a phrase that I used to use with my friends all the time back in college that I don't think I've used it in three years on this podcast. Maybe I have, but that phrase is perfection achieved. This was perfection achieved. The J. Sammy confrontation, it hit every long-term and short-term storyline note. Sammy opening his eyes with a balls-on accurate breakdown of Roman's abuse was perfect. Jay being visibly affected by Sammy's words, knowing they're true, even though he doesn't want to admit they're true, goosebumps. KO coming back for Sammy, continuing the black hoodie thing out of the crowd that I told you was purposeful and you didn't believe me. That was perfect. And then the slight hesitation on the hug plus that crowd pop. Holy shit, that crowd pop. Not to mention the chance. This Kansas City crowd was incredible in both segments on Friday. All of that was perfect. It really wasn't that dissimilar from like an airport scene in a rom-com. Like it was so good. <laughs> and then you mm -hmm. cap it with Cody standing backstage, watching on the monitor, smiling like a proud father. Dude looked like he was watching from his bay window while his anarchist son helped walk an old woman across the street or some shit like that. I was so fired up from the hug. And then I legitimately laughed out loud when I saw Cody. It was unintentionally hilarious, but it didn't take away from the moment. I just yeah. loved it so much. And then you add in the purposeful absence of Solo Sokoa in terms of, you know, when we got Friday night. Now it made perfect sense why they did that, because it cleared the deck for this moment to be two on two. You don't need Sokoa in there reminding that, hey, they actually have the odds. It's brothers against brothers. And if there was even a single person still angry about Sammy not winning at Elimination Chamber or thinking a WrestleMania tag team title match with his best friend on the biggest show of the year won't be nearly as great of a moment, you're still fooling yourself. I want to dig even deeper here once we get past well, what happened on Raw, Chris. But for this yeah. segment, like I said, perfection achieved. Yes, and going back to the Sammy J thing, they were both right. Like, like they both had a point. That's why this has been so good. Jay saying, hey, I doubted you for so long. I finally let my guard down and let you in. You know, I I, I, I be a little bit vulnerable, let you in, and you immediately betray me by hitting the tribal chief with the chair at the Royal Rumble. And that just messed me up. And I love Jay's promo last week, as I said, about family and explaining that even when bad shit happens, even when you're disagreeing, Family is family and you have to be there for your family. And then this week we get the explanation of what friendship is. And so like, it's just perfect punctuation of why both Sammy and Jay are doing what they're doing. They're both a little bit in the wrong. They're both a little bit in the right, but you can understand why they're doing all these things and the path that they took to get there. Um, Smackdown, these segments absolutely nailed everything and why, this larger bloodline story has been maybe the best thing, best story ever told in wrestling because you've got Sammy going back to the beginning of the bloodline story, you know, Jay taking the abuse, 
Uh, you know, like it just, it all fits. They brought it all back together here and they brought it all together again on raw, which we'll get into. So sports reality TV, uh, wrote in, he goes, this is absolutely insane. He goes, uh, and a huge credit for an amazing story. Three of the biggest pops of recent WWE history have come from hugs. He said, Jay and Sammy after war games, Jay and Sammy on raw before Jay ultimately turned on him. And now Sammy and KO. I mean, that's true. I'm not saying they're the three biggest pops, but three of the what 15 biggest pops we've gotten over the last five years, maybe 10 years, something like that are because of hugs. He's right. Like that's, and, and by the way, they're all in the last five months on top of that. Yes. And that's, that's a story. Like that's how you tell a story. It's not just, Oh, look at this crazy move that they did. And you get a big pop from doing the move. No, <laughs> people feel invested. Right. People feel connected. That's get, That gets you a bigger pop than any move you could do. Exactly. All right, so let's move over to Raw now. So we had KO and then Sammy. They entered together to open Raw. Another massive pop plus Sammy and KO chance. Zayn apologized again. Owen said he's always been Sammy's biggest fan, which is why the bloodline move bothered him so much. They looked at the WrestleMania sign and KO kept kind of playing it up. And I always appreciate because we talk about how he's the one guy where like he just breaks kayfabe and it doesn't really matter. He's like, we all know what's coming here. We all know what, what I'm going to do next. And let's look at the WrestleMania sign together. You know, anyway, the Usos come out. <laughs> Jay yells that KO and Sammy are going to backstab each other soon because that's what they are. A couple of backstabbers. Sammy said everyone knows Jay is the one who wants to stab Roman in the back. He obviously got angry at that. KO cut to the chase. He goes, look, let's just challenge for the tag team titles. Brothers versus brothers. Jimmy denied them, but Jay saw the chance to take them out, like to fight and actually beat them down. So because of that, he accepted the match. They brawled. Jimmy saved Jay. Then they grabbed chairs, but they stopped because they saw Reigns, Sokoa, and Heyman all pull into the arena. Now, Friday was perfect. Despite some great crowd reactions Monday, to me, this one part of the segment, it fell a bit flat from a storytelling perspective. After Jimmy said no, it would have been nice if KO like broke down how we've been together for 20 years from CZW to PWG to ROH and now WWE. And now the Usos, you're scared to fight the one team that can actually match you on the brotherhood standpoint, on the closeness standpoint, that can't be broken apart because we have a common goal. Jay agreeing to the match 10 seconds after Jimmy said no, to me, fell short. Look, it was a damn good segment. This is a minor gripe, but it stood out to me as short of great. And when everything else around you is great, a moment that's not perfect is going to stand out. Reigns pulling through, uh, pulling up in the car. That was straight out of the Attitude Era. I used to see that shit mm -hmm. every single week when, yep. you know, Stone Cold came in in his SUV or not his SUV, his uh, ATV, I should truck. say, or The Rock yeah, came in in a limo or Vince McMahon came in. Yeah, truck is really what I was trying to say. Um, that was straight out of the Attitude Era. So again, really good segment to start the show. Not perfect. I thought they did miss just a little bit. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. Really enjoyed everything they did. I just you probably could have gotten a better way to the, we're having the match either, mm -hmm. either they both agree to it or they say no. And then later in the show, they say yes. Or Adam Pierce comes out and says, you know, we're doing this. Like it, it was kind of weird, but it did. It did. They did kind of address it later though. And that is Jay's kind of uncontrollable right now. 
And that is that ultimately being the reason they have the match is not a bad reason, but you're right. It coming 10 seconds after Jimmy said no was a little, it didn't quite land maybe as well as it should have. So that's fine. And that happens. Let's go on to what happened later. Uh, Reigns was disappointed how the Usos started the night. Jimmy got angry that he almost got torn away from his brother. And now he was being criticized. And that piqued Roman's interest. He's like, is he about to come after me? But Jimmy clarified he was mad at Sammy and they would take the faces out at WrestleMania. Then Reigns demanded everyone leave except for Jay. Roman asked how Jay thinks he can come and make decisions if he's been completely incommunicado recently and hasn't even confirmed that he's still a member of the bloodline. So Jay assured Roman, I am bloodline. You don't have to worry about that. Reigns accepted it. but Then he grabbed his leg before Jay went to walk out and he reminded him, I love you. Jay was clearly unsure how to take that. And then he left. Paul Heyman came back. Roman told him, I got the answers I was wanting. Later backstage, Heyman told the Usos the private jet was filled with seafood, all waiting for them. But he kept Sokoa behind because he wanted to talk to Reigns. He wanted to have him talk to Reigns before the big segment. Now, for me, this was business picking right back up after the opening segment with some real top-notch character development. Twice in one night, we had Jay affirming he's bloodline only for his emotions and his expressions to show doubt. It was also a really necessary segment given Reigns hasn't really interacted with Jay since he made the decision to come back and stay with them. Roman then throwing out I love you was almost like a last gasp gaslighting effort to try to bring Jay all the way back because Roman saw some doubt and knows he might be losing him. This did really well to set up the rest of the show. It also did really well to potentially set up storylines coming out of WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We are getting we're going to get into that with the Cody stuff. They are are setting up a lot for what is going to happen after WrestleMania. This this was the segment that made me like the opening segment more in retrospect, which was Roman basically being like, dude, why the fuck did you accept this? tag team match like what are you doing here like what is going on you and i have not really talked for a minute here and i really like that they are including roman still in the sammy kevin owens stuff like 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 that's why it all feels connected it could eat you could easily just have roman go do cody stuff the usos do theirs and that's it but their roman is still involved in everything and that makes the tag team match feel even bigger as well because it all makes sense he Roman Reigns has a whole thing with Sammy and Kevin Owens and Cody and everybody. So it makes sense to keep that all together. And yes, they are very not subtly planting the seeds of Jay and what is coming next for him. Almost, I think, too much. But mm. it, 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 but that but that in itself would also explain why he accepted the match when Jimmy said no. He's can't control his emotions right now. He is trying to show that he's bloodline, but he doesn't quite know how to do it. All right, we're accepting the match. We're going to get rid of this problem right here because that's what I need to do to to feel like I'm bloodline again. And so it all makes sense now to me. Well, let's not forget his entire character, you know, arc. He's a hothead. That's what he is. So he acts sometimes irrationally without considering the effects of what he does. And, You know, people right now, they're loving to cheer for Sammy and Cody and KO, and they love to acknowledge Roman. But Jay, for me, is the single most compelling character. And in many ways, he's the fulcrum on which this story has turned and pivoted over the last three years. We get so many 
superficial storylines and characters in wrestling. And there's really nothing wrong with that. But the layers of Jay's character and his portrayal of it, a twin who couldn't be told apart from his brother, an abuse victim, a hater, a best friend, a jilted lover to some degree, the internal conflict that he has shown, particularly in the latter stages of this storyline, him being able to convey that he despises himself for not having the balls to do what Sammy did standing up for himself. It's legitimately all-time stuff coming from Jey Uso. And if you think we have heard pops for Sammy and Jay hugging, Sammy and Kevin hugging, Cody possibly winning the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, the pop when Jay finally loses it and confronts his abuser probably with a super kick, it may crack glass. It may legitimately be that loud. That is going to be an epic, epic moment. Yep, that is ultimately the turn on Roman that is the story that has been told for almost three years. Like, Sammy was a whole thing. That was eight months or whatever it was. But but it's always been about Jay. And you can tell with the way this is all playing out that it still is about Jay. And they know that, and they're very much pointing to that being something uh, at WrestleMania and beyond. And it's just impressive that they're telling that story while simultaneously building two separate WrestleMania matches. Like that's just, yep. it, it's, it's stuff that WWE doesn't do. I mean, this is stuff, you know, we talked about game of Thrones succession. This is high level writing. And, and I don't think WWE is going to put itself up for Emmys or is going to get nominated for Emmys or anything like that, but you could make a case. That's all I'm trying to say. You can make a case. So let's get to the main event of raw. Uh, Reigns, they saved him until the final segment. Now, we know normally our three of Raw is way lower rated than one and two. So it's kind of interesting that they did this, but they saved him for the end. Uh, as soon as he came to the ring and said, acknowledge me, Sokoa and Heyman were with him. Cody Rhodes interrupted with his full entrance. He wanted to know what Reigns, not Heyman, meant by Roman having a, quote, Cody Rhodes problem. Reigns said what Rhodes represents being a professional wrestler is the problem. While he, Roman, has become a fighter and a megastar, Roman mentioned Cody running away from Stardust and leaving WWE, starting his own promotion, and then running away from that when he didn't get over there, and then finally getting over in WWE only for his body to quit on him. Rain said that Cody will have a choice to make on April 3rd, the day after WrestleMania, when he looks in the mirror as a loser. He'll either have to be a man and come back or run away again like a little bitch. And Cody admitted to running away. He said doing so resulted in all of their peers in WWE and elsewhere making more money than they ever have before. Rhodes said he's going to get sick to his stomach if his father is mentioned again because Dusty is not going to be there and his brother won't be either. He said his mother would tell him to knock Roman's ass out. And then he said April 3rd will be the first time Reigns remembers what it's like to lose and not be champion. And then he promised, well, you know what? I don't want to say it. Let me just play it for you. Jay is going to leave you. And then Jimmy will leave you too. So no Usos. Guess what happens then? Solo 
Well, you've been glaring at me all night. Let me tell you something that I had to find out when I was a second generation flanked by the champion. You think you're ready. You're not ready. Solo leaves you too. And when Solo leaves you, this man, well, he becomes an advocate again. So there you'll be, a man without a family, a Roman with no more reins, a chief without a tribe. What a line. It hit so hard. Reigns had no response. He dropped the mic and stormed out. Solo did not follow. He went face to face with Cody against Roman's wishes. Reigns yelled at him to leave. Roans goaded him back into the ring and delivered a kick before Roman jumped on the apron, put his arm around Solo and stopped him. Then Roman nodded at Cody like he almost understood they were done fucking around and shit was getting real. And Raw <laughs> went off the air in that moment. And this just nailed all the right notes. The stuff from Reigns was everything you would expect and more. The crowd was really good Monday, but it was a casual crowd, not a smarky crowd. A smarky crowd would have ate up the line from Roman about failing to get over an AEW, and it would have ate yep. up that last line as well. Instead, both kind of landed softly, but Cody did a great job actually selling Roman's words and not blowing them off or making a joke like John Cena always used to do for decades. And it always hurt the builds for his major matches. Then Rhodes comes over the top, making the necessary separation from Dusty for the go-home push, completely shaking Reign's confidence and playing to all of his insecurities in one perfect line. Roman's acting was on point. He flashed that fake confidence smile despite the inner turmoil going on. Plus, we got the finish with Sokoa. That seems to set up Cody maybe handing Solo his first loss next week on the go-home Raw. But more importantly, it's the first time Sokoa has ever been at odds with Reigns. So you know that phrase, death by a thousand cuts? Roman now has Cody, Sammy, and KO after him. Jay obviously has ill feelings. Jimmy has been disrespected. And now Solo was held back from Roman, basically agreeing with what Cody said in his promo. He's not ready. And I did just shit on the crowd. Let me credit the crowd for chanting that and chanting a ton of stuff all show. Cody played Roman like a damn fiddle all the way through this moment. And this, Chris, was the perfect penultimate moment in the feud. Really hot segment that advanced the storyline and didn't hit the crescendo just yet. And they didn't have to randomly curse at each other or brawl to get you to feel. It's emotion, it's logic, it's storytelling. With a good amount of manipulation coming from both sides, and just putting it over the top, this was an A-plus segment. Consider that these guys haven't touched each other other than a handshake and have only had two face-to-face -face segments, and the feud is white hot and totally feels fresh. I'm not sure when the true go-home will come, and I'm not sure what the hell they're going to do for it, but this set that up perfectly. I'll tell you what I think we get next. We, you called this the penultimate moment. Uh... I think. I, no, I think the go the go home is the penultimate. I guess this is the penultimate moment for the for the build for the build. That's what I'm talking about. Not the counting build. the thing. Yeah, not counting. Cody's gonna get his, Cody's gonna get his ass kicked next week. He's gonna get beat down by Roman Reigns and do all this stuff. That that's how that's how you set up. You know, Cody so winning at Mania. You say like Cody versus Solo. DQ Cody, Cody beats Solo. Yeah, Cody beats, beats Solo. Cody beats Solo or DQ or whatever. Bloodline beats his ass. Okay. Cody and, and Ro whether that's Raw or SmackDown, I don't know. But then you've got 
the six, the seven of them, whatever. Like th- that, that's what I think it'll be. This, it is so funny to me. Cody is so incredibly over, and it is very <laughs> funny to me that certain people still think he's not. Or, or let's or just that he is let's not or, let's not pay them any mind at this job. We don't even, like like this is yeah. it is this is working on every single level, and I loved this segment because it's what I've been saying for months. And that is that there are three Cody stories in this story. The first one is the Dusty one. Yes, Cody can say, if I hear Dusty's name again, I'm going to vomit. Dude, the day after you came back to WWE, you cut a whole promo about Dusty never winning the title, and that's what you want to do. That's that's part of the story. As much as you don't no, want I, it to I'm be. Not you saying, made it. He's not you, saying it shouldn't he, be part of the story. He's just like, it's right. not going to matter at WrestleMania. Right. It, just he, he leaned heavily into Dusty and then is trying to lean out of the Dusty, which is fine. The story can take steps. And, right. and, and the, other, the, the other part of it is Cody tearing his peck and coming back from that. That is its own story in its own. And the third story is the most interesting one. And I'm so glad they went into it. And Roman talked about it. And that is that Cody quit WWE created a whole other company uh, because he didn't, he felt like he could do more. Got brought back and is about to win the championship. Like compared Mm -hmm. to where he is in WWE now compared to where he left. Like, that's a huge, that's one of the biggest stories in like wrestling, creating a whole other promotion like that. That is like, I don't know if that's ever happened, especially not in the modern era. And so for Roman to say you ran away and created another promotion and you couldn't get over there. So you came running back. That was such a key distinction because it would have been so easy to say you didn't win the championship there. You're not going to win the championship here. Because if you say that, you make the AEW title feel like a bigger deal. But he's yes. not what he said. He said you didn't get over there because people were booing you when you left, which is what a lot of AEW fans have been saying about Cody throughout this entire story. Well, is, I want that that's why he let me let me jump yeah. in with a 30 second time out here. It yeah. is blatantly false that Cody was not over in AEW. Like, let's let's make that perfectly I, I, I fucking clear. OK, he was over for two years or a year and a half or I mean, no, like basically the entire time he was there, the final six months or, you know, whatever period of time that was where they did, you know, really once Malachi Black joined AEW and they did the whole, is he turning healer? Isn't he? Why is he doing this? Brandy was on TV, you know, unnecessarily. And it got really sloppy. That was a booking problem. And it was also some of it was Cody's fault. There's no doubt about it. Cody was to blame for much of, of what happened there. But he was still in those moments over with half the crowd. It was the John Cena, half the crowd cheers, half the crowd boo situation. But before that, he was massively over to the point that fans were angry at him in AEW for the stipulation where Cody yes. was not allowed to compete for the world title. That's right, how right. over he was. I kind Correct. of wish in this moment, there was a way for him to kind of say, well, that's bullshit, and then continue. But he didn't want to because it would have ruined the momentum and, and Roman's point and all that. He was over there. I just I want people to remember that. But yes, no, no. At, the he, end, he's, he's, at the end, he was not over as a baby face because no one wanted him to be a face anymore. Right. Roman is acknowledging, again, what a lot of AEW said, fans said about Cody on his way out and into WWE, which was that AEW fans were sick of him and they were booing him. And that's why he left. And Cody wouldn't get over when he comes back to WWE. I'm I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying 
a lot of people believe that. And Roman saying that was awesome for, mm-hmm. for, for him to, to, to point that out. And so those are the three stories that they've kind of interwoven in this. And that's why that is what has made Cody so interesting uh, about all of this. The only other, I, I loved everything about it. I, I, I only tweak I would have had was when he talks, when he says, Dusty's not going to come and do the bionic elbow or whatever. I, he could have, he could have like punctuated that a little bit more. If he said, my brother's not here and my father is dead. And just like, kind of like, stamp <laughs> I don't know that. that is, of, of just, I don't know that that was necessary. <laughs> it would have been, it would have been done, but like, it would have really emphasized like the pain that he feels that his, that if he does this, his dad won't be there and he has to do this by himself. Like, like I just think right. it, it's such an interesting story. And, both of these guys absolutely nailed this. Roman was absolutely getting over on Cody in the first half of this, much like when they had their last face-to-face. But Cody's comeback this time about everything, about what he's done and about what is happening to the bloodline to kind of get it back into kayfabe story, uh, got the upper hand on Roman. And what, and what did Roman do at the end of this? He did exactly what he says Cody does, and he essentially ran away. He ran away. Yeah. Like, that that was just absolute spectacular stuff between them. Uh, the end was a little bit abrupt, like to have not really any physical violence and Roman holding him back, holding back Solo, whatever. It was a little bit awkward, but again, it'll set up Friday, Monday, whatever. It's fine. Like this was this was spectacular stuff. You know, when you're watching a movie and you get like an hour into the movie and they say the name of the movie. And it pops. Oh, you my out? God. Yeah, this is my thing. Not... This is my thing. My wife hates this because I do this all the time. <laughs> so Roman kept saying, getting over, getting over, getting over. And all I could think for like, <laughs> I had to actually rewind the segment. I was like, man, I got to cut these as sound drops. Like <laughs> Roman said it four different times in four different ways. I was like, now we finally have it like perfect, clear audio for the show. I was so happy about that. Um, one of the amazing parts, the most amazing parts about this bloodline story and all of its twists and turns is that our patience and our faith is actually being paid off. Like there were so mm. many chances for this to go off the rails, for it to stop making sense, turn in a poor direction, whatever. But it keeps fucking hitting. Like we talk about landing the plane. We're going to see at WrestleMania whether they do it with Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and Cody Rhodes. But it needs to be pointed out how beautiful of a job they have done weaving Cody into this story. All of those concerns about Sami being more over or fans not caring about Cody because he was gone when he came back at the Royal Rumble. Nonsense. They not only worked him into this storyline seamlessly, but he, Sammy, and KO, they're all giving the rub to each other, hey now, simultaneously. But each is getting over more because they're together and operating with one mindset than they ever would have been doing it individually. None of it's been diminished. All are stronger. I've mentioned this before. WrestleMania may well end up with all three of them holding the titles simultaneously, having conquered the bloodline together. It could also open raw with that the next night, but Cody, not just being part of the storyline, but elevating and and weaving his way through it to emerge at the top of it. It's just some of the best storytelling I've ever seen. And and that's just a small part of this larger and longer three-year storyline. Yes, it, it was totally fair going into the rumble to be like, man, I don't know if Cody mm-hmm. should be the guy right now because it feels like Sammy should be the guy. It would have been very easy to 
do it ham-fisted and just force Cody in and make people deal with it and move on from there. And there could have been a backlash to Cody for that. It is a credit to the storytelling, to the booking, to the performers that they have handled this entire thing so smart and with such grace, really, Mm -hmm. to understand that they all have an important role to play here and they're all on board with it. So, yes, there were times over the last two months where we got worried about what it was going to be or weren't sure if they were going to be able to land this plane. They have navigated this incredibly well to where I have complete confidence now that they are going to land this plane. And you know, you know what, man, I don't even know what this would have been if the rock was available for us. Yeah. Like if yeah. they did two matches and Cody defended the title in one and the rock was in the other. I mean, I, I booked the damn territory to make that happen. Like the way it could have worked. Hated that. Cody yeah. fights someone night one <laughs> Roman and the rock fight night one. And then Cody and Roman fight night two. But like, what would this have been if the rock was involved? I, like, I don't even want to think about it. It's going to take so much time to consider it. It's just mind boggling to me that that was the direction that they were trying to go. Not mind boggling because the rock's the rock and you want that star power, obviously, if you can get it. But I mean, do they do this at SummerSlam? Do they save the entire thing and stretch it to WrestleMania 40? I mean, Cody won the Royal Rumble. Like, what do you do about that? The whole thing. Absolutely crazy. The other development that I'm appreciating with this storyline, and we mentioned this briefly before, but before we wrapped up the main event, I wanted to get back to it is they seem to be leaving a lot of meat on the bone. Like, sure, it seems like Cody, Sammy, and KO, their stories are going to end at WrestleMania in terms of it seems like they're going to achieve their goal. Generally, once that happens in WWE, the company goes into a little bit of a lull, particularly with superstars who get defeated, trying to push their stories forward. But we have the J thread, the Jimmy thread, the solo thread now, all as it relates to Roman. So even if he does drop the titles and the bloodline gets stripped of all of their gold, it's possible they can build out the rest of these stories to SummerSlam. And it feels so good, Chris, to be watching WWE and not just be excited for WrestleMania, but excited about what's going to come after WrestleMania. Yes. And that was where I was saying before where they've completely laid out what could happen here. Like there's a whole thing like when Bret Hart would like basically say or guarantee hey, I'm going to win the title or I'm going to defeat you. He would. You don't want a babyface making promises or saying things that don't end up happening because then they're not credible. So for Cody to say like, Jay's going to leave you here. Like that's basically saying that Jay's going to leave him and which makes perfect sense in the story. So now that it's like out there in the ether, uh, like it has to be addressed and Roman knows this. And so like, yeah, that's what, what has made the whole bloodline story so great for so long is that there's always like two or three things going on. And so even if they all lose the titles at WrestleMania, there is still a lot they have to deal with. And so I, I think it's going to be pretty seamless for them to go into Roman J or whatever it is, or Roman takes a break or Roman does the J thing, then takes a break. I don't know, but they have, absolutely set the table for several things to happen post WrestleMania. Oh, they absolutely have. And that's just, again, what is so exciting about the entire thing. It's what is going to happen next and how are they going to get to it? And Chris, that brings me to the final topic for this extended, as you guys can all tell 
main event. And that is actually talking about the main event. What is going to main event night one of WrestleMania? Now, this past week, and I tweeted this over the weekend, I was told it's still planned. The Usos, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens main event night one. And I had been told that before. However, there was one report from a reputable outlet that it's going to be Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. And certainly Ric Flair is trying to put public pressure on WWE to do exactly that. There's no question this week that business picked up massively for that match on Friday. And we will talk about that in our next segment. But really, there's only two ways to do this. And I'm curious which way you would go. I want you to answer first before I come back. You either do Usos against Sammy and KO as the main event of night one, or you do it as the opening match of night two and contain all the bloodline stuff on the second night. But I also don't think that, and look, most fans, you have to make the assumption, are buying tickets to both nights of the show. But there are some who don't and can't afford it. So they're only going to one night or the other. And I can't imagine a scenario where you tell someone who bought a really expensive ticket to night one of WrestleMania, you don't get either of the bloodline matches. I just I don't see that happening. And anyone, to me, arguing the tag team title match should not be the night one main event. And maybe you're about to do it. So I'm about to call you this word, but that person would be insane. So let's go ahead. Uh, you tell me what you think should main event night one, and then I'll go ahead and give my breakdown. It's the tag match. Okay. Like this shouldn't even be a debate. Like, like there, there, there's nothing else to say. Yes, I understand the idea of like, hey, you know, two straight WrestleManias where where you don't have a, a, a woman's match main event either night. Like, totally understandable uh, complaint to have, but. There are two marquee matches on this show. It is the tag match. It is the the universal heavyweight, undisputed, whatever it's called, title match. (laughs) And they have done such a good job of keeping both of these stories feel of equal importance. Mm -hmm. They both feel like they are A1 type of matches. If you... I understand the structure if you put it to open night two and you do the whole bloodline thing in one night, like there's a story you can tell throughout the night. I I can see that working, Mm -hmm. but ultimately if you're treating these two things on their own, if if, if you're um, elevating them to the way they are, you have to main event the tag match. The Usos are the longest reigning tag team champions of all time. It is a big deal when they lose. And there's no better way to make your tag team division feel important than main eventing one of the nights of WrestleMania. And and, and Sammy and Kevin Owens and the Usos has been uh, like the A1 story since the summer before Cody came back. Like for a longer period of time, this was the biggest story. So for me, it's without a doubt. You end that first night with Sammy and KO. You've got dudes crying, hugging each other, telling them how great friends everybody is. We all love each other. Love you, man. Like, that's a great way to end night one. And ultimately, you want to send the fans home happy on these things. And we'll get into Rhea Charlotte later, mm-hmm. but there is absolutely no way you end with Rhea Charlotte and people come out of that being like, oh, man, I'm fired up, ready for night two. Like, no, you have to main event the tag match on night one. See, this is why I so frequently just break something down and then run through my take on it. Because if I give you the opportunity, you just take everything I'm about to say and say it yourself. <laughs> it's and so unlike us to agree on things. I know. We really do agree on on probably way too much to be co-hosts on a show, but whatever. It, it yes. works well for the chemistry. Um, this is my take. You can't in one breath. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other people. You can't in one breath 
demand WWE treat the tag team division more seriously and then be upset that Triple H is going to make a tag team match a main event for the first time since WrestleMania 1. Let me repeat that. WrestleMania 1. And that was a celebrity match. This is for the title. Not only that, like you said, it features the longest reigning tag team champions of all time and the most compelling challengers for the tag team titles, given the storyline and their career-long relationship since forever? I mean, the Rock and Sock connection in 1999, maybe? Like, am I missing a team? That's what we're talking about here. An all-time set of champions and an all-time set of challengers. And I fully understand, you mentioned this as well, what the dirt sheets are calling the quote-unquote politics of the entire situation. The women didn't main event last year. And they wouldn't main event this year, obviously, if the tag team match does. The women also have not been given the best booking either. It is really unfortunate, but shit happens. Equality to me means judging everyone on an equal plane, regardless of gender, a true meritocracy. Now, the women have had far worse booking than the men, and that's why any storytelling medium needs to actively ensure equality, otherwise stuff like this will happen. If you give the women's title matches plenty of time, let them show out, put Rhea Ripley over, hopefully put Asuka over, give the fans what they want. That should be the goal for that division at WrestleMania, given how poor the storytelling has been. That's not the women's fault. It's Triple H's fault. But from a merit standpoint, going back to the meritocracy aspect, the main events should be the hottest stories and the biggest matches. This is the hottest story. It's arguably the greatest storyline in totality of all time. And it's the second biggest match on the card. It main events night one. Any other decision is ridiculous. Completely agree. I, I, I don't know when we'll know. I mean, they've continued to say Rhea Ripley is main eventing mania, but they say that every time somebody wins the Rumble. So I don't know when we'll know. I don't know when they'll make a decision, but uh, it's kind of an important one. It is. I do think we usually get most of the day-by-day day or night-by-night night breakdown the Monday before WrestleMania. So I think one week from yesterday would make a lot of sense. Um, but we'll find out. But Chris, let's... Hope so, because we, we've got an ultimate preview next week, and we would like to know the order. We would like to know who's main event <laughs> the nights. True. Yeah, we would. And yeah, you're right. We need to do it for the ultimate preview show. So if we don't know what's on what night, that's going to be very difficult for us to do. But again, the ultimate preview, WWE WrestleMania 39 ultimate preview. One week from now, same bat time, same bat channel. Before we get to that, though, Chris, we got a couple more segments on today's show. So let's move off of the bloodline, move out of the main event, and move to the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, let's kick things off with Drew McIntyre against Sheamus for the Intercontinental Championship number one contendership. Imperium watched at ringside. And yes, folks, there's no question what we got in this match. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Sheamus took a superplex. McIntyre absorbed 10 beats. Drew dodged a bro kick, countering with a neckbreaker. Sheamus countered Claymore with a pump knee for a 2.8. Then they collided, hitting a brogue and Claymore simultaneously. 
It was about to be a no contest with a double 10 count. So Gunther jumped on the apron at eight to distract and he yelled, which of you is it going to be? Imperium then attacked the faces from behind for a double disqualification. Gunther hit McIntyre with a shotgun dropkick. Then he powerbombed Sheamus into him. Adam Pierce then appeared on the Titantron saying Gunther gave him no choice. So he's booking a triple threat match at WrestleMania. McIntyre and Sheamus uh, contending for the titles. So the idea, I'm sure, was that Gunther purposely created the double disqualification to ensure that neither guy challenged for the title. To me, it kind of came off in the moment as an extremely dumb heel move for a guy who's been pretty smart to this point and should have realized the repercussions of him doing what he did. However, I can let it go for a couple reasons. First, straight up, this was a banger and we got the match we badly wanted at WrestleMania and needed for WrestleMania. It could be match of the weekend by the time all is said and done. Even beyond that, it was an extremely strong segment. So this may end up breaking the soundboard on April 1st or April 2nd, whenever it's held, I'm assuming it's going to be on night one, because let me tell you, that's going to be a banger. And we also got some new sound drops here on the podcast. This was good, even though I thought it could have been a little bit better. Yeah, really liked it. Um, just these guys have great chemistry and they beat the shit out of each other. And I am so incredibly looking forward to this match at WrestleMania. The finish, I, I, I'm trying, you know, as you try to understand the logic, maybe the idea was Gunther thinks a double countout is going to is going to lead to two challengers. So he's trying to interfere to make them do it again. So there's one winner because when Pierce comes on the Titans run and he says, you, I know you wanted one. Well, now you're getting two. So maybe, mm. maybe he interfered to, okay. to guarantee to, 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 so there wouldn't be two. And so Pierce is saying there has to be two now. So th- that's my best guess. Commentary could have maybe explained a little bit better, but, but, but overall, this was certainly a good, just really, really looking forward to this match. No, you know what? That, I like that explanation. It makes more sense than maybe the way I was taking it. So good across the board. Uh, Santos Escobar and Zelina Vega fought Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio in a mixed tag team match. We don't get many of those. Zelina was on fire all match with a great flying seated senton, tornado DDT, and more. In the corner, Ripley powerbombed Santos during a superplex on Dom. Zelina got a hurricanrana on Dom, but Rhea immediately caught her with Riptide for the win. Fun stuff, bell to bell, with basically everyone but Dom kind of showing out. Vega was a bit slow at times, but she came across really energetic and good. I just wish they got additional time in the ring because it felt like the crowd was just getting into the match as it ended. But it was good. Yep, definitely good. It's been really good the last couple weeks and on and Raw, too, that Dominic is getting some wins, which I think we need to happen before you get into a Ray match. So mm-hmm. and the match was fun. Match was good. Like good stuff all around. Uh, so Dom trashed Ray after the bell. Ray came out. He admitted to missing Dom's childhood, but said he still loves him. Ray said that he made sacrifices to ensure their family had a good life. And Dom benefited not just from the money, but from the Mysterio name. Ray got choked up saying he wanted Dom by his side on the Hall of Fame stage. But it's too late because he regrets what Dom has become. An ungrateful, disrespectful, pathetic punk ass kid. I love the way that, you know, you know, Ray's like 48 years old. He uses terminology like punk ass from, you know, the nineties. So it's funny that he still does that regardless. Uh, let me get back to this. Uh, he said he would love to kick the ass of a kid like that. Just not his son, because that would be disgraceful as a father quote. It's not worth it. Some I'm not going to fight you now. I'm not going to fight you ever. And I'm not going to fight you at WrestleMania either. 
Dom tried to go Ray to turn around, but Ray just walked out. And this was Chris straight up. It's one of the best promos of Ray Mysterio's entire career. I don't even have additional yeah. analysis. Like it was fantastic. The build for whatever match we're going to get with them has been tremendous. Separating them by brand for a long period of time, it really let the entire thing simmer. Ray wasn't able to be successful as a singles competitor. Dom found himself with Judgment Day. It just built a lot of depth for this entire story. This has been booked so freaking well. The Hall of Fame mention strengthened my expectation that this is going to go unbooked for WrestleMania until the Hall of Fame ceremony where Dom will interrupt Ray's speech and give Ray no choice or he'll attack him. Something will happen. But no matter how they do it, I am officially all in for this. And this segment right here was good. This was great. And I completely agree. I think this is going to be booked out of the Hall of Fame ceremony. And when's the last time you heard a wrestling crowd, a WWE crowd chanting, specifically chanting, kick his ass? Because that's where they were chanting. (laughs) Chris, one of the craziest things in WWE right now is these crowds are chanting phrases like every single week, multiple times per show that are not normal chants. So they're yes. organically coming up. And, and hug like, it out. that shit hasn't happened since the attitude era, it feels like. It's crazy. Yep. Hug, hug, hug it out, kick his ass. Like, these are, that's being. You're not ready connected. to solo on Raw. You're not, I mean, yep. That's being completely bought into the stories being told. This, exactly. this is the third hottest story around Mania behind the Bloodline stuff. They have, like, on paper, you're thinking, oh, every week Dominic says let's fight and Ray says no. And you're thinking, oh, they're not doing anything with it. But each week, the intensity goes up another level every single time. And like this was you, Ray completely got all of us. We all thought this was the moment he was going to say yes. And then he didn't. And so it, it hurt that much more that he didn't. And just sticking to his principle that a father should not fight his son mm-hmm. throughout all of this. Great, great stuff. I love the uh, the LWO necklace he came out with as well. Yeah, that's um, cool. Just, just everything about this. This is so good. And when it was just, so, if it was so had, smart the way something, he did it. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You yeah, yeah. yeah. If this happens at Hall of Fame, the the pop is going to be so huge. The boos for Dominic are going to be unreal. If that happens and the crowd for this match is going to be ridiculous. If it happens at mania, just really looking forward to this. One of the craziest things about it was and one of the best things about it. I should say was the way Ray was like, he described Dom and he's like, I'd love to kick the ass of a person like this. It's just that you're my son. So I can't like, I hate you. Yeah. You're a terrible piece of shit, but you're my son. So I'm not going to kick your ass. Like, Oh my God, it was so freaking good. And yeah, credit so to Ray good. because not the strongest promo guy, you know, throughout his entire career. And in one of the biggest storylines of his entire career, he's absolutely nailing it. This was great from Ray. Uh, Johnny Gargano. This is going, I think, sorry. I think this is going to be one of the things we remember from this WrestleMania for years is Ray versus Dominic. I think going in, it's not one of our most anticipated matches, but it has the highest ceiling to exceed our expectations, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. So Gargano fought Dominic over on Raw. Gargano hit the slingshot spear, but Dom got caught trying to cheat with the ropes after Johnny took a header into the turnbuckle. Gargano avoided a 619 and hit a discus lariat plus a lawn dart, but Dom pushed him off the ropes and then hit a frog splash into his back. Gargano was selling injured ribs throughout the entire match. For the clean one, two, three, 
and I don't know, the biggest singles win of his entire career, I would say, at least a clean one. After the bell, Dom said the entire Mysterio family is going to be at SmackDown despite blocking him out of their lives. Dom struggled a bit with this promo, and he said he'd get his mom to give Ray permission to fight him. This was the perfect example of why most matches should get decent time. The crowd bought into Gargano because of his wrestling skill, and Dom was able to prove himself with a pretty significant win ahead of a WrestleMania match. I didn't love Gargano taking the L because he has a big match coming up on Stand and Deliver, but to be fair, that's not the main roster, and they did use the ribs as an injury excuse, and Dom really needed the moment more, but really, Dom should have just fought like Dolph Ziggler or anyone else on the roster instead of Gargano, given Gargano has WrestleMania weekend plans. This was good overall. It served its purpose. Wasn't as great as everything else we just talked about, but it was really good stuff. Yep, really good stuff. Again, Dominic racking up some wins is important. He he can't just be the chicken shit heel hiding behind Rhea Ripley. He's gotta get he's gotta look formidable in his own right. And now he is. And and that's exactly great. His promo after the match was was great. Being kicked out of the family group chat. I can't <laughs> like like, la, like last week it was the Mercedes line. This week is he was kicked out of the family group chat, but it's okay because the judgment day group chat is better anyway. Like just just really, really great stuff. So over on SmackDown, Charlotte Flair came out saying, after all these years, it's still Rhodes as a challenger and Flair as a champion going into WrestleMania. Flair also noted that she's going to her seventh WrestleMania and she's either been the challenger or champion in all of them. Briefly before we continue, I rolled my eyes when she said that because that stat is exactly why everyone is exhausted with Charlotte. Like she's a baby face trying to say, hey, Look how great I am that they forced me into every single women's title match at WrestleMania. Consider this seven years and she's never had a single WrestleMania match not involving a title that alone gave so much credence to the criticisms that everyone give about her booking in WWE. Completely agree. I listened to that and I was like, wait, are you the face or the heel here? I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, she said Ripley wants to be both a star and a champion like her. That led Rhea out with Dom. Ripley said she didn't choose Bianca Belair for reasons she'll get to later. That was unnecessary to even mention. Uh, but she said all the men and women backstage fear her, except for Charlotte, admitting that's why she chose Flair. Rhea said she doesn't just want but needs to be a star, promising Flair will have no choice but to call her champion and fear her. Dom got between them. Uh, that gave Ripley an opening for a cheap shot that knocked Flair on her ass. The heels then walked off, but Flair kind of gathered herself. She attacked Ripley at ringside for a huge pull-apart brawl, like four or five different pull-apart moments. Charlotte got hurt by the ring post. Then she speared Ripley uh, at ringside. Charlotte punched a guy and booted another. Rhea moved out of the way when uh, Flair did boot that guy. Uh, Ripley then threw her over the announce table, but Flair just jumped right off of the table onto her. Ripley headbutted a dude. And they tackled each other over the barricade before finally getting separated. Now, had this stopped at the confrontation, it still would have been by far the best thing we have gotten from this feud, even though the, the confrontation only thing we've, wasn't great. What? But the only thing we've gotten from this feud. Th that's what I'm saying. Um, even if the <laughs> reasoning there is kind of weak, it still was the best we had gotten so far. But it didn't stop there. It escalated and escalated and escalated. That not only upped the intensity of the feud exponentially, but it gave us a taste of how great this match should be, at least once the bell rings. That part has never been in doubt. This does not excuse the weak shit that we've gotten to this point. There should still have been way more build for this match, but we got additional motivation 
beyond getting revenge, clear storytelling, and tremendous pull-apart brawl action. It was this year's take on the cop car brawl ahead of WrestleMania 35, and it was just executed really well. I liked it a lot. I like it. I like it a lot. And it was good. It was good. The pull apart brawl was great. That's what we needed a while ago. We needed some intensity. We mm-hmm. we couldn't just be saying things to each other. There's got to be some intensity behind it. And so that was there. That was good. Rhea has, I said this on Friday, I wrote this in my notes. Monday, we'll, we'll get into Raw in a second. But Rhea has come so far on the mic. She is so much more confident in everything she's doing now. And the only I, one little tweak I would have made, she says uh, when she says uh, you're going to learn to call me champion and you're going to learn to fear me, I think was the line. I wish you would have said you're going to learn to call me champion. You're going to learn to call me mommy. <laughs> I, I feel like that would have like just kind of brought it home more for her. I would have landed with the crowd better. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing is like Rhea Ripley in the Charlotte story is like completely different than the Rhea Ripley we see everywhere else. And this exactly. ties into what well, this ties yes. into Monday as well. But like I, she's like smiling and having fun and taunting people and doing all this stuff. But then when the Charlotte thing happens, it's like we got to be like narrow focused, typical mm-hmm. WWE type promo, almost kind of like doing Charlotte. And it's not like working for me, which is why I didn't want Rhea and Charlotte to happen because this always happens whenever whenever Charlotte is involved in a story. I actually am glad that Rhea said I didn't pick Bianca. I have my reasons. We'll come back to that just as a nod to be like, hey, people, I know you didn't want maybe this one. I'm just <laughs> acknowledging that we'll get to it at some point. So I, I did appreciate that. But my biggest takeaway is that this Rhea that we get with Charlotte is not the Rhea we get everywhere else. And everybody loves the Rhea we get everywhere else. Rhea should be getting cheered in this storyline. People love her, even if she's a heel, and they generally don't want to cheer Charlotte. I just feel like the dynamics of this whole, the two of them has not been right. And so that Rhea is a bit different. So I feel like you might've been skipping ahead a little bit just because I didn't get that feeling on Friday. I did get that feeling on Monday. So let me yes, go I, I did kind so, of I can, so I can corroborate what you're saying here. Let me move to Raw. So Ripley on Raw, she got a solo promo in the ring where she was live or die by herself. And yep. she said she was done living in the past. She said Flair's not a leader because she has no respect for anyone else. Ripley said she's gotten up every time she's ever fallen, but Flair keeps people down. Ripley promised that she would become champion and the biggest star in WWE at WrestleMania, while Flair will know all her insecurities are true. Damage Control entered with Bailey. Uh, they said they respected Ripley, but they were kind of expecting her. Bailey was that she would ask Bailey's advice about beating Flair. It got contentious and it led to a strange heel versus heel challenge. There was a great moment backstage with Adam Pierce where he made the match official, then sent a referee down, which you never kind of see. And we're going to get to that match momentarily. But for me, Ripley's promo was a really weak follow up to what we got on SmackDown. Like she should have been infuriated and almost rabid to get at Flair. Like you said, she should have been showing some of the character and the mannerisms that she had in all those Judgment Day promos that she cut. Instead, she was calm and methodic and monotone and honestly, kind of boring. Like I hate to say that about Rhea because she is awesome, but it sounded overly scripted. The promo never hit a second gear that it needed. And it was completely antithetical 
to what she's been doing recently with Judgment Day. It just left a lot to be desired. So while I liked Friday and I thought that was good, the promo on Monday, I mean, it was it was just bad. I agree. I have in my notes, it felt like Friday was the, all right, go one-on-one with Charlotte test. And then Monday was the, can you do it on your own test? This is the, if you're going to beat Charlotte and you're going to be the champion and you're going to be the face of this women's division, can you be that person out there on your own? And she didn't handle it well. And well, like, that's what I'm trying to decide you, is like, did she you, not well, handle I'll, it well? Or did she do what she was scripted to do? Because Well, that's what I was going to say. Because in a promo like that, if you're in the ring on your own, the whole purpose of that promo is you have to tell a story. And there was no story. It was just, story, I'm that's what I'm saying, though. If the story sucks, how much of that's her fault? I don't know that it is I'm her saying, fault. T- I'm saying, tell me what happened the day after you lost to Charlotte and, and, I, and right. I was down right. and I couldn't believe like that. That's the thing you got to do. And I, she didn't write the promo, I assume. So like, that's where I think she was not helped at all by what she was asked to go out there and talk about because there was nothing. There was nothing to really say. You got to tell a story in the promo. That's what Cody does every single time. That's what those promos are for. And there just was no story. Yeah, and that was exactly the problem. So then we get Ripley against Bailey. Ripley wrestled in street clothes. Damage control distracted the referee and raked her eyes to stop Riptide. Once Bailey got rolling, Becky Lynch, Lita, and Trish Stratus all entered, eating from a big bag of popcorn. Ripley kicked out at one from a Bailey to belly and took a second one. Rhea then hit a great sudden dropkick out of the corner while holding the top rope, which was really cool. Immediately put Bailey in the prism trap. Damage control helped again, so the legends took them out. And Becky chased Bailey back into the ring where she got caught with Riptide after a headbutt and Ripley got the win. Now, the match did protect Bailey in the loss with Ripley getting to show out a bit, but this was a paradigm of everything that's wrong with Triple H's booking of the women recently. Becky, the top woman in the entire company, was barely a thought here, didn't say a word. The heel versus heel match didn't make sense and it had no juice. Bailey lost two weeks before WrestleMania for no reason. Why couldn't Dakota Kai? have been in that spot? Why couldn't they have used another woman on the roster? Again, Bailey did get protected a little bit, but still, none of this hit for me. And there's no reason in the world that a segment with Rhea Ripley, Bailey, Io Sky, Dakota Kai, Becky Lynch, Trish Stratus, and Lita should be anything but amazing. So despite the wrestling being okay, it was frustrating, and largely it was bad. I was very mixed on it. Um... First off, Rhea wrestling in street clothes, much like the the stuff we like to say about uh, Drew McIntyre, but uh, Rhea's got me saying, hey, now. (laughs) And when it was weird because it was heel versus heel and it goes back to what I said, which was that people, I think, want to cheer Rhea, but they didn't. And so in a Bailey match, they gave her a reason to when they brought out um Bailey and Trish and Lita, I was like, all right, this feels too convoluted. What is the is the purpose of this match to build Rhea up for the next one, or is it to create more animosity between the tag teams? It got kind of messy, I think, by by the end. And like you said, to have all these stars in it and it not be like an elite segment was um not great. I did like Rhea kicking out of the bit Bailey to Belly at one and commentary yes, sold that was the hell good. out of that. That was good. I Bit laughed when Rhea did the double boot kick to Bailey in the turnbuckle and just flattened her. <laughs> that was a that was a great spot like, too. Like let's not get it twisted. Ripley looked great in ring. She did. She did. She Bailey did. made her look and great. So 
Yeah, so 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 that was there. I just feel like it 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 really highlighted everything, and that was that like Rhea can be a heel with the Judgment Day and a face otherwise, and they didn't go down that path. And uh, I, I I think it would have been a lot easier because I think Rhea is kind of a confused character in terms of playing to the crowd sometimes when she's out there by herself. Uh, and and we we saw that because she she like nodded to the faces at the end of the match like as they left. Like it was like a point or whatever it was. Like it was an acknowledgement with Becky and all of them. So to go from that to her being a heel in Charlotte, it's just kind of a weird dynamic. Yeah. So then we got Bianca Belair and Asuka against Chelsea Green and Piper Niven in the Can, Can They, they coexist? coexist match. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chelsea backstage did her looking for the manager stick again. And she said Carmella wasn't available. So Piper would be her partner. Then she demanded Pierce put her in the WrestleMania showcase match. We're going to talk about that at the end of this segment. So don't worry, we will get to that. Uh, but he said he was still determining the teams. The faces got at odds twice, first because of tagging and then because of a miscommunication. Belair did the KOD on Niven out of the corner for a, the thunderous spot and the win. Asuka immediately attacked Bianca after the bell with two strikes and a basement knee. None of them really seemed to connect. And the crowd was just dead for this entire thing until the KOD finish, which is always super impressive with Piper. And that made Piper a smart replacement for Mella so we could get the moment. And then the crowd, it just didn't really care for the post-match attack because they've been given no real reason to care for the match. It wasn't awful, but it has to get a bad overall. It was bad. Look, Bianca Piper is always magic between the two of them and Bianca can do the KOD to Piper a million times. Crowd's always going to pop for it. I love the two of them together, but yeah, as soon as Oscar started doing her thing, the crowd died. They yeah. completely pulled out of it. Why? Because they want to cheer for Oscar. And instead you have her beaten up Bianca. It's almost like if you flip the two of these, you'd have a natural face and a natural heel in, in both of these stories. And you could do something differently. Like I just, it all it just it comes back to that like Oscar Bianca nobody knows how to feel about it and they're not giving us any way to feel about it because we wanted your Oscar and so I feel bad for Oscar she she comes back she's in this great spot she's she uh, has her rumble moments and like this is all right we're we're pushing Oscar again but she's getting dead reactions because they don't want to boo her against Bianca well it's just it goes to Triple H's booking of the women and this is what we've been talking about and and this is a good opportunity for us to say it because we're probably not going to have time next week, but his booking of the women must improve dramatically after WrestleMania. There is no legitimate reason for it to be this poor going into the biggest show of the year. Limited TV time is one thing that can be explained away due to the complexity of the bloodline story, the number of matches they're building that need time, you know, that you can explain that, but while they got the four right women in these two title matches, they clearly picked the wrong matchups. Flair, they're trying to make her a baby face. She's not a legitimate face. Ripley's no. motivation is inconsistent and unclear. Belair has been completely cooled off now one year into this drab title reign. Like her moment came with Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. And ever since then, it's just been... Now, there were some issues and reasons why, of course, Sasha Banks and Naomi walking out changed some storytelling initially, but the title reign has been dog shit, and she has cooled off massively from being the top women's babyface this time last year, and Asuka hasn't done anything of significance since becoming the number one contender. Just look at the difference between these matches 
and Bianca Becky last year in terms of storytelling, anticipation. It's so unfortunate. Flair Ripley, it did take a step forward on Friday, but it was almost entirely physical. And Chris, there's just no excuses for some of this to not be better going into such a big show. Yep. It's the same thing we've said every week, and it gets it gets proven out by the crowd reactions to things on Monday Night Raw. That yeah. if you just flipped it, I think it'd be red hot. And it's just it's not because the crowd wants to cheer certain people and they're not kind of supposed to in the story. But it's also not being given storytelling. So even if you want to have these matches, you have to have good enough storytelling to make them matter. And they're not doing that. Yep. Yes. So we had impulsive but, yep. TV on Raw. Logan Paul clowned the Miz backstage. When he assumed he was going to be the guest on the show, Logan said he's rich enough where he doesn't need WWE and he doesn't need the fans to love him to succeed, given his talent level. He got some cheap heat talking about uh, St. Louis and how it's shitty. He mentioned the Rams moving, which they probably thought that was going to get the Elias supersonics, you know, heel heat. But it did get some booze, just nothing nuclear. Yeah, all your sports teams, they're all failures. Uh, Then he talked shit about knocking out Seth Rollins. And showed a bunch of replays of that before Rollins muted his mic from the production truck and hit his own music. Logan actually did something that I wish more heels did in this moment. Rollins entered and he just kept talking shit during the entire entrance. (laughs) And I've never understood why like a heel will be talking and then a face will come out and they'll just like stop and they'll give them their moment in the sun. Why? Keep talking shit about them. So I love that he did that. And it was probably some level of his inexperience that he didn't know he's supposed to shut up. But I loved that he didn't shut up. I thought it was great. So Rollins pretended to speak, but instead he just tackled Logan Paul. They brawled and got pulled apart. Rollins went to splash Paul on the announce table when security saved Logan. So Rollins took out security. And as he stood up, Logan caught him blind with a right hand for a second knockout. This worked well enough. Paul came off like a piece of shit, yet he actually outsmarted and knocked out Rollins for a second time. Seth got the crowd going, but the short end of the stick, him getting that again, might give us a hint for the WrestleMania booking. Rollins also sold the hell out of that punch for a second time. I wouldn't call this great or anything, but for a celebrity, Logan more than held his own standing solo in the ring, commanding an entire segment, juxtaposing him with Rhea Ripley. He did a better job alone in the ring than she did. It's just factual. That's what happened. This was good. Yeah, by the way, I yeah, I am absolutely into everything Logan is doing in this feud and almost nothing that Seth is doing. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm 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 furthering in my belief a little bit that I don't know if Seth is over. I think the song might be over. No, Seth's over. And, and so like Logan coming out saying, I don't have to be here. I have all my millions. You know, people wouldn't come to St. Louis. I'd go to L.A. with the Rams. Like just that's just classic heel stuff. He is so good at this. Like in the ring, he's turning to the cameras like when they're switching, like he like he's just he has all of this down so quickly. Yeah. Uh, I also thought, by the way, he also called wrestling fans dorks. And I thought he handled this in a much better way than Dan Lambert did in AEW, which was to come out and, <laughs> yeah. and to come out and call everybody, say wrestling is dumb or whatever. It called them people in their basements, all this kind of stuff, I, which was just got annoying and grating, I thought. Logan Paul did it in a better, clear type of way that, that that kind of worked. I think the most offensive thing about Logan Paul right now is his giant ass T-shirts, which are seemingly <laughs> getting bigger every single week. Um, here's the thing I didn't understand about this. If Seth was in the truck, why was he replaying him getting punched 
by Logan Paul over oh, and over and over. He jumped in the truck while that was happening and took the guy out. That's what I would assume. That, that's that's uh, I think that's a leap. We didn't see that because he just gets in there and he's laughing and he's smiling. He's not upset that that's being broadcast on the thing. I I hmm. just thought I was just like, what do you wait? If you're in the wait, if you're in the truck, why did we just see the truck play all these replays? That was extremely weird. And look, to come out and to fight him, the brawl, that all worked. That was great. But Seth's motivation in all of this continues to be extremely limited. And I am far more entertained and compelled by what Logan Paul is doing in this. So what's your grade? I'm going to give it a good, but that's almost solely because of Logan Paul. Okay. Uh, Austin Theory fought Montez Ford in a non-title match. Angela Dawkins walked Ford out, but left him on his own. Theory's beard, by the way, makes him look like if John Cena was in the Wyatt family. That's basically what he's dealing with right now. <laughs> uh, Ford hit a froggy crossbody so high, he almost overshot Theory, which was crazy. Then he hit a standing moonsault. Theory countered a rock bottom. Montez countered ATL and hit a spike DDT. Theory sold it incredibly. Then he hit a tope con hero and landed on his damn feet. Montez did. But Theory avoided a frog splash and caught a distracted Ford with a rolling dropkick before adding ATL for the one, two, three. After the bell, Theory passionately said he'll make Cena believe in him the way he just forced Ford to believe in him. Now, obviously, the wrestling was superb, but this stood out because it was a rare, squeaky clean win for a heel against a legitimate opponent. That was necessary for Theory ahead of a huge Mania match, and Montez was still somewhat protected by the way they did the finish. It was good. Yep, it was good. Not much more to it than that. Since you can't have Cena there every week, you got to do some other things. And I'm always happy when a heel gets a win and just looks strong. They did that Mm -hmm. with doing it with Dominic, doing it with Theory. It works. Edge got a brooding promo package. See what I did there. Surrounded by candles, telling Finn Balor he has no idea what Edge is capable of doing inside Hell in a Cell because the Undertaker baptized him in the structure. He said Balor cannot become what he needs to become by staying the same. Ed said he fears no evil because he is evil, demanding Balor bring his demon to meet the devil because the devil would like to meet him. Edge just knocks this shit out of the damn park every single time. Exceptional promo to continue the expected brood versus demon character switch for Hell in a Cell. I know I'm more into this match than you, but now I'm all about it. It better be Edge putting Balor over if the demon is returning, it can't lose after the Roman Reigns demon situation that we got a few months ago. Um, I mean, maybe a year ago. That thing seems like it was forever ago. This was so damn good. I loved what Edge did. I love that we're getting brewed against demon. It's perfect. Yeah, very good. I, the, the last two weeks, I've been a lot more into this. Really good Edge promos. Um, only thing is that the video quality unless it was my tv the video quality oh, it was shitty yeah or yeah i assume he filmed it on his phone or something at, at home uh send that man a better camera when you're going to do that it seemed like he, he was like a floating head and yeah i do think like he probably filmed it at home and they shot him into something else production wise it didn't look good you're right it didn't uh wwe this did look good they aired a extensive tale of the tape package for brock lesnar against omos it was really strong basically promoting the match as a super heavyweight showdown that could not be held anywhere else but WrestleMania. After it was over, Omas squashed Mustafa Ali in like 30 seconds. I hated to see Ali take an L like that. But given he's actually getting character development and the wins or losses don't matter for that character, it's not as bad as it would have been previously. I just felt like there were other people they could have used. I did like the package, so I'll give it a like good overall. It was a better build than 
getting them in the ring for another face-off next week. We're going to do a weigh-in, and a weigh-in, Chris, flashes me back now to Cody Rhodes and Anthony Ogogo. I, yes. You know, I want to talk about Cody not being over in AEW. That's part of the reason why. So I'm sure WWE is going to execute it better. Um, but the problem here, what they're not doing, is they're not giving Omos any character or personality. Nope. And you've interviewed the guy, and I've seen him be interviewed. He has character. And he has personality. So I just don't give a damn about him here. It's a big monster guy who yells. That's the character that we're getting. So, I, I, you know, I'm not still not thrilled with the match. I know it's going to be a spectacle, but I will give a good to what we got on Raw because it did amp up the excitement for something that I largely don't care about. Yeah, it was a light good. Like, I've seen him on the stage at Wally Mania. Like, really funny guy. Like, yeah, you can do some more. But look, this is just a spectacle. Big guy versus Brock Lesnar match. They're not going to give you any bit more than that. And so yeah. in that context, it was fine. Like, good. And it's one match on a 14-match card. Let's not forget that in the in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Xavier Woods fought LA Knight on SmackDown. Woods and Madcap Moss were playing WWE 2K23, which apparently is very good, by the way. Uh, when Knight made fun of them for living in a fantasy land. And that led to Xavier challenging because you know you're never insulting him about video games. Uh, Woods countered and rolled down a vertical suplex, locking Knight in backwoods for the win in two minutes and 20 seconds. Backstage, Knight told Rey Mysterio if he wouldn't fight his son, then LA Knight will be the deadbeat dad for him just to get on the mania card. Ray punched him and spoke Spanish with Knight confused about what he said afterward. And that got her laugh from the crowd. Now, what they are doing with Knight, a heel getting caught quickly and losing a string of matches. It's a WWE trope. Normally, I'd be fine with it. But the problem is they're doing the exact same thing with Baron Corbin on Raw. And Knight isn't a kayfabe loser, capital L, like Corbin is. It just feels like they could be much more creative with the booking, or at least letting Knight be showcased in the ring for 10 minutes to legitimize him before he loses like that. No one benefits from a two-minute and 20-second match. I say this all the time. It certainly wasn't anything to get angry about given the rest of the show. And I was on the verge of a bad here until the backstage segment with Ray saved the entire thing at the last segment. So it gets a good, but it was right on the edge of the two. It gets a good because you let LA Knight talk. And this is, I'm going to say this for SmackDown and, and, and Raw, I think, but LA Knight coming out and not cutting a promo before his match. Like, doesn't make sense. What is that? Like, you, he has to do that every single time. That is his greatest strength. Do that. They did it post match with the video game stuff. That was whatever. That was fine. But, like, he gives out a, he gives out a yeah early on in that match. And the crowd reacted and gave him a yeah back. Like, that is still very much over. Also, last week, I, I credited Wade Barrett, who had a funny line about LA Knight. And it happened again this week. Uh, Cole says, L.A. Knight believes it will not be WrestleMania going Hollywood if L.A. Knight is not involved. And Wade Barrett goes, he's not the only one. And Cole says, name one other person. And Barrett goes, me, Wade Barrett. <laughs> and he says, L.A. Knight has the face, body, and shoes of a champion. If Adam Pierce did his job properly, he would have a championship right now. So just that's like great heel stuff from Wade Barrett. I would love yeah. more of that. That was really good. Yeah, they're doing great together on commentary, uh, Cole and Barrett. And we knew that they mm -hmm. would, but, you know, they're doing great. Uh, the latest WrestleMania Goes Hollywood parody was the Brawling Brutes and Drew McIntyre in the chest waxing scene from 40-Year-Old Virgin. Ridge Holland was Steve Carell getting waxed, and Butch pulled the strip on the nipple to end it. Now, this, Chris, is what I've been talking about. They stayed true to the material 
They threw in a couple WWE elements. I actually, I knew that they were doing this. I thought it was going to be Drew because he has the hairy chest, but they did fake <laughs> hair on um, Ridge Holland because they didn't want Drew being embarrassed in that moment. Yeah. This was corny. It was funny. It was good as hell. They're now batting 500 on these WrestleMania Goes Hollywood parodies. Very funny. That's how it works. You have to do the exact scene. Exactly. That, that's what made them. That's what made them memorable. So yeah, that was good. And before we get into booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39, where we go over every match on the card before we walk off the show, let's talk about the announcement of WrestleMania showcase matches that will now be part of the card. And we'll also tell you about what happened on SmackDown and Raw to kind of build those. In terms of the concept, let's start with that. They are basically fatal four-way tag team bouts, one for the men, one for the women. Now, it seemed like, and the way they announced it, was there were going to be qualifiers for both across TV. But they just announced the men's match on Monday. So the only match that has qualifiers are the women. And we got one on SmackDown, but we didn't get one on the ensuing Raw. And I suppose the reason they're doing qualifiers for the women and not the men is number one, because of time, but number two, because they need to establish women's tag teams and having them win their way into WrestleMania is pretty smart in that regard. We always you know, complain that not only are there not women's tag teams, but when there are, they don't get established. So that makes some sense. I saw a mix of opinions, but the majority were like rolling their eyes or somehow angry that WWE is putting more people on the card. These are the same people, by the way, who were complaining about the list of wrestlers we've been mentioning each week not being featured at WrestleMania. And yes, WWE has five hours of TV, but there's going to be 14 matches on this card. Two involve the greatest storyline in history, and there's only so much time. I'm much more bothered by the women's singles booking than these matches being on the show. My take is these are far, far better than those battle royals, which by the way, WWE and AEW have both done battle royals just to get people on pay-per-view cards. And I like that the women are earning their way onto WrestleMania. I wish the men had to do it as well. It just makes it feel valuable instead of everyone being thrown into a match. My problems are the randomness at this late juncture, the lack of explained purpose for the matches, and the repetitiveness of two identical fatal four-way tag team matches. The other criticism I saw is people think these should be number one contenderships. Obviously, they should be. But do we really think the winners of WrestleMania showcase matches under a Triple H creative regime are not going to get title shots? Of course they will. They don't have to be called number one contenderships for them to end up getting title shots from winning the matches. So I'm all for both of these, and I'm glad they're doing them on the card. Do I think it could have been more solid, you know, put together in a more solid fashion? Yes, but I appreciate them being on the card. See, I actually think I would prefer the Battle Royals. Although I don't actually know if you have enough people to fill those out either. Because uh, like it, it's a battle royal is a great pre-show thing and you can highlight an individual at the end or something like that. I, I don't mind this. I think it's fine. It's good to have everybody on the card in some form. You do something. Yeah, the winning team will probably get something even if it's not technically number one contender. So I think it's all good. I have no real complaints. It's, you know, lower tier stuff. I think I would have just preferred... The Battle Royals, because I like those as an annual thing, but that doesn't seem to be happening. Okay, that's pretty interesting. And you know what? We didn't even really consider that part of the topic. I wonder if these showcase matches are going to be on the pre-show. 
the women one night, the men the other night. We haven't even really talked about the fact. I mean, WWE has stopped doing kickoff show matches, but for WrestleMania, yeah. when fans are filling in, they generally do them. So we'll be curious to see if these are on the main card or these are on the kickoff show. That's not something I had considered. So let's just talk about things that were related to these showcase matches, and then we'll move on with the rest of the show. Uh, for the women's side, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez fought Tegan Knox and Emma in a qualifier. Rodriguez hit her twisting elbow. Morgan hit a code breaker that Michael Cole called a code red. He's been messing that up a lot recently. Raquel overpowered Emma, lifting her for the Tahana bomb as Liv tagged in for oblivion and the win in five minutes. Liv was limping, so she either hurt her ankle or was just selling. I was really tough to tell. Probably the latter. The faces got a nice reaction, but man, this was short as hell at five minutes. It's a good because nothing was wrong with it. The right team won, and those two, Raquel and Liv, should be in the match. Also, I've been talking for weeks that I want them to stay together as a tag team. So that was all really positive, but it just badly needed more to really sell it. Yeah, I'm just kind of whatever to it. The team, the expected team won. It's fine. It was fine. I, I give it a light good. It was, it was fine. And then for the men's side, Ricochet fought Chad Gable in a singles match on Raw. These guys represented two of the teams in the men's match. We'll cover that in a bit. Otis was being pampered backstage when Gable approached to get him ringside for his match. Maxine Dupree came up trying to drag him away for a hand model photographer, but Otis actually chose to accompany Gable instead, and Maxine was super disappointed. Uh, Gable stopped a ricochet huracarana out of the corner in progress, and they seemed to like botch a spot after that. They had some really nice counters with Gable hitting a cliffhanger DDT and a dragon suplex. Maxine then led Otis away to the back that distracted Gable just enough for Ricochet to roll through chaos theory, hitting a flip over inverted DDT and a shooting star press for the win. This hit all the right notes with storyline development for Gable and Otis uh, previewing the WrestleMania match and just putting on a mini banger with both Ricochet and Gable showing out. This again points to what I mentioned earlier with the Gargano um, and Dom match. Sometimes just got to let folks get in the ring and wrestle. The crowd loved it. Both guys got over. 3.75 stars, B+, and an easy good. I just thought, the way you said that, I just thought of a new drop for the show. Do you, do you remember the the Ready to Rumble uh, WCW movie back in the day? Of course. With David Arquette. There's the line where the guy says, hey, I'm Sal whatever. Want to wrestle? <laughs> Want to wrestle would be a good drop to put in under this or something like that. Um, yeah, first off, Ricochet is beefing up. He is looking big. It feels like a notable change, maybe because he's with Braun more. I don't know, but he is not. He used to be, you know, muscular but skinny. He's his arms. He's getting big. So shout out to him for that. Noticed it. And second, the Otis stuff is so good. Like <laughs> we, we've given a good to almost everything on this show over over on SmackDown, but the Otis stuff, not at all relevant to WrestleMania, but it is so funny and mm -hmm. such good stuff the cucumber falling off his eye and eating it and just like everybody is playing their part in this and i know it's like a low card type of thing but it is really hitting it is really funny they've been almost entirely backstage segments so I, i'm curious if they'll do something more at some point but i really really like this this is such good shit you're right, it is. And just the development of Maximum Male Models, top to bottom, has been a lot of fun. Yep. So, Chris, that was the good, the bad, and the ugly. Two segments left here on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. First, let's book the damn territory for WrestleMania 39 and go over the card as it stands now. We have 12 matches confirmed, one still to be determined, and one 
that is now officially in doubt. So for the confirmed matches, we're going to give our picks and predictions on the WrestleMania Ultimate Preview. That's one week from now, our next WWE episode. But here's the matches. Undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes. Undisputed Tag Team Championship, the Usos against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. SmackDown Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair against Rhea Ripley. Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Asuka. Intercontinental Championship, Gunther against Drew McIntyre and Sheamus in a triple threat match. The United States Championship, Austin Theory against a returning John Cena. Seth Rollins against Logan Paul in a singles match. Brood Edge against Demon Finn Balor inside Hell in a Cell. Really the only stipulation match as of right now on the card. Becky Lynch, Lita, and Trish Stratus against Damage Control in a six-woman tag team match. Brock Lesnar against Omos. The Men's WrestleMania Showcase, Braun Strowman and Ricochet against the Street Profits, against Alpha Academy, and against the Viking Raiders. And the Women's Showcase, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez against three teams still to be determined. Regarding those showcases real quick, I think you have to put Strowman and Ricochet as the favorites in that men's match. I would say that Imperium and Legato are missing from there. Like, I'd love to see them in that match, but I don't exactly know what team I would take out. From the men's match, did you have any additional thoughts there? No, I, I completely agree. I don't know okay. who you take out. Th- these are four very established teams. I know Imperium is as, as well, but um, I don't like they're telling a story with Alpha Academy. You know, they're they're they've been telling a story with the Prophets and Braun and Ricochet. Like, no, I, I think I think that's fine. And then for the women's plus Imperium, will, plus Imperium, Imperium will probably be out there with Gunther, so they'll be there. Yeah, and Legato will probably. I mean, if Santos is involved with Ray, I mean, there could be something there too. So. I don't think they're going to be completely left off the show um, for the women's side. Liv and Raquel are the one team announced for it. I think Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler are pretty clearly going to be in this match as well. I, you know, Chelsea Green and Carmella, they're getting established as this team. And then Carmella didn't show up on Raw. And, you know, knock on wood, I hope it's like a one week thing and Mella's back soon. And it was just a personal or she missed a, a flight or, you know, something like that. But given the way Mella's been in and out of WWE recently, you never really know what's going on. Um but I would love to see them in a match just because they're actually being established as another women's team. And then I don't know who the fourth team would be, but maybe like Natalia and Shotzi, it seems like, or maybe it's um, Candice LeRae and Nikki Cross could potentially work. And I don't know who that other team is going to be, but I do think it's a situation where Rousey and Baszler certainly win this match. Yes. Yeah, that that is that is they are them. We've said this before, but them and New Day and probably LA Knight are the most notable people currently not on the card. Now right. we figure LA Knight's going to have something because they keep alluding to it. I'm sure mm-hmm. New Day will be involved in that. We 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 hoped last week that maybe a, a returning Big E could have an impromptu match or something like that would be awesome. Uh, so that would solve them. And yeah, you presume Baszler and, and uh, Ronda get in here, and that about covers everybody. Yeah, fingers crossed with New Day. I mean, Kofi's now injured. He had ankle surgery in Birmingham, Alabama uh, over the weekend or last week. So Kofi, I mean, most likely is out of WrestleMania given we have 11 days left. And yeah, uh, LA Knight, it seems like they're working on something that will, it could be a featured spot again, Big E, uh, returning Randy Orton, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, if they have him show up. But not The Rock, if they somehow get him to show up. I mean, something's going to happen with LA Knight on that show. As we say that, I can totally see L.A. Knight saying, hey, I'm L.A., I'm Hollywood, I should be here, I'm the megastar, 
The Rock comes out, puts him <laughs> down, does his Rock stuff. Boom, you go home. Uh, they've already put LA Knight in the ring with Undertaker, uh, and yep. So I could I could see I could see that being the Rock spot. You got to figure there's gonna be a Rock spot, even yeah. if he's not on the card. Hollywood WrestleMania. I could see Rock LA Knight being the thing. Now the two other matches that are not confirmed for the show, one to be determined, something with Ray and Dominic. Um, it could involve Santos Escobar and Damian Priest. They could also, because we have backlash in Puerto Rico in May, they could save that tag team match for Puerto Rico and do the singles match here, or they could do the tag team match at WrestleMania and the singles match in Puerto Rico. I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, maybe if maybe if it was in Mexico, they would do it for Rey Mysterio, but Puerto right. Rico doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but something involving that. And then now the one match that is totally in doubt for the show, Bobby Lashley against Bray Wyatt. We've now gone two full yeah. weeks with nothing developing here. Uh, we've talked about the possibilities for LA Knight. Uh, we just did, you know, Biggie, Randy Orton, The Rock. Another option is him in the ring and he calls, you know, out someone to fight him and Bobby Lashley shows up and yeah. Bobby Lashley will get a big pop. Let's not forget he's over as hell, but, yep. you know, it would certainly be with all the options that could possibly be there. It would be a little bit of a downer. Yeah, I agree. That's the one I forgot. Bobby Lashley. Yeah. Something you got to think. Yeah. So, Chris, that was booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39. And again, next week, we will give you the full ultimate preview with breakdowns and predictions for every single match. That means on today's show, we are going to wrap up as we now always do on the WWE episodes with the last word. So DJ take the needle and just drop it on the record what? We gon' have a sp- Poppin' in a second That's why we always save the best cut last To make you scratch and niche for it Like fresh cut grass And we actually have two this week First, Brett M. wrote in He said, what's a match that you both think Is an underrated Mania match Everyone should go out of their way to watch It's really tough to say what's underrated uh, The Undertaker versus CM Punk From WrestleMania 29 Was easily the best match on the card but it got totally overshadowed by John Cena and The Rock. And you know what? Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley from WrestleMania 36 is grossly underrated. People remember being angry that Charlotte won, but that match was a banger and it was like the first match to open the show. In fact, you can make an argument. It was the best wrestling match on that two-night card. And then one more since it's topical. Uh, Rey Mysterio versus Cody at WrestleMania 27. That was the conclusion of the broken nose angle. Uh, that was a great match as well. Chris, I was wondering, do you have anything in particular that stands out for you? So my, my, my pick is not something like, oh, a low card match on a WrestleMania that was really good. My pick for most, I, I pick it as most underrated because I think it's a, it was a much bigger thing in the moment than we remember. And that is, Vince versus Shane WrestleMania mm. 17 because that was the one where <laughs> Linda McMahon was in a coma and Vince was doing stuff with Trish Stratus, which yeah, looking back now, very not cool uh, <laughs> with everything that's going on with Vince and everything you can think about the McMahon's totally legitimate. But just in that moment when I've gone back and watched this moment so many times when L- Vince pulls comatose Linda McMahon into the ring to to show Vince is about to hit Shane with a garbage can over the head and Linda McMahon just stands up and that might have been the biggest pop of all of WrestleMania 17 the, the the WrestleMania everybody says is the greatest of all time Linda McMahon coming out of her coma to stand up <laughs> and love Vince McMahon that Astrodome went nuts and then Shane hits 
uh, Vince with the uh, Van Van Daminator and wins the match. And I just think that's like the peak. That's another like peak of sports entertainment where like, yeah, it was like not a good match, but it was it was a weird story with a huge moment that I've gone back and watched uh, a number of times. All right. Now I did say there was a second last word question real quick. If you do notice a difference in audio, if it's jarring a little bit for you guys, we ran into a little technical issue. So we had to do this a little bit of a different way, but everything should work out uh, by the time we tape our next episode. Anyway, uh, Asif D wrote in, he said, is WrestleMania 36 actually rewatchable or does the fact that it's in the PC with no audience make this impossible? So, you know, it's not often that I rewatch full WrestleManias outside of the week or so after they end. I usually watch them the night again and then, you know, during the week. If I do rewatch WrestleMania or any pay-per-view years later, I never watch it all the way through. So there really there's no reason to do that. For me, is there any reason to put on 36? Yes. In fact, I just mentioned it. Flair Ripley. Plus the weird triple threat singles tag team title ladder match. Um, the KO Rollins match was good. The Boneyard and Firefly Funhouse were super unique. Both of those are easy rewatches. So there's plenty of reasons to put on WrestleMania 36, but I would never watch it straight through because I never watch any show straight through. So I, I rarely go back and watch entire shows, although I guess around the Rumble and the WrestleMania, I'll try to rewatch. I'll just like put it on and rewatch the whole thing. But the only things I've gone back and rewatched from that WrestleMania are the graveyard match with AJ Styles and the Undertaker mm-hmm. and the Firefly Funhouse match. The Boneyard match. Which, the the match. Boneyard match, yes. And the <laughs> Firefly Funhouse match, which were two things that were not in the Performance Center. They right. Just kind of off on their own universe. The Firefly Funhouse match, I thought, was is one of the greatest things WWE has ever done. I've gone back and watched that thing so many times. But if you're talking PC WrestleMania, I have not rewatched it, so I guess my answer would be yes. It's un- it's not rewatchable. Okay, that's fine. I, I, I again, it's for me, it's just individual matches. Like I'm never gonna even WrestleMania X seven. I'm not gonna put it on and watch it straight through. I'm gonna fast forward shit I don't care about. Yes, I mean I've put it on and fast forwarded, but but yes. Is there anything from that that you've that you've gone back and rewatched in the last two years? Um. No, just the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. And I think, yeah, and I, think, I don't, and I, don't I, think I only rewatched, really I think I only rewatched those because I like came across them on YouTube or, you know, I just, there was a, there was a reason why for like uh, storytelling purposes. I think uh, during Bray Wyatt's return, I rewatched it to see if there were any Easter eggs in there that could, you know, play yeah. something. That's the last time I watched anything from that show. Yeah. So I, I, I think, I think, yes, I think it largely is not. Um, and the, the PC lack of crowd was weird. That's like right when we started this podcast (laughs) going back then and, uh, extremely weird. All right, folks. Well, that is this edition of the getting over wrestling podcast. We have so much coming up for you next week here on getting over. Um, we're going to break down that schedule on Twitter at getting overcast. So be sure to follow us. We'll of course also let you know what that schedule looks like next Tuesday on our WWE WrestleMania 39 ultimate preview show. That one is indeed going to be a banger on the way out here. Chris, uh, let me remind everyone that we still have one more episode this week, Thursday, the NXT and AEW show 
And as of right now, uh, it's possible that a two-time Hall of Famer joins your boy, the Silver King, on that episode. However, that interview still needs to be taped, so no guarantees just yet. But we should have a jam-packed show for you this Thursday. And yes, as I've said already a few times on this episode, one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel, WWE WrestleMania 39 Ultimate Preview. So if you're a first-time listener, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Everyone else, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, schedules, our live shows coming up next week on Twitter Spaces. And of course, you can send us DMs and tweets. You can send in questions for the last word or just thoughts that you want us to include in the show or questions you want us to answer. You can do it all by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. Because on this show, I happen to love the number five. And we hope you do too. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love this show. And if you do, we will read it live right here on the program. Thank you all once again for listening to this penultimate WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast ahead of WrestleMania 39. We are so excited to bring you a slew of shows next week. But at this moment, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.